Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Blessing, and I want to tell you that outreach works. You know how I know that? Because we had a visitor this morning that came as a direct result of somebody knocking on his door yesterday, left a flyer, uh, and he came to our service this morning. And so you pray, uh, pray that God will use uh, those outreaches. And I I would really encourage you, maybe you're not uh, regularly coming to these outreaches. Uh, Listen, God can use your life. God can use your life in a powerful way if you will come and be a part of those outreaches. Tonight, uh, we want to jump back into our study of the book of Revelation. I want to come down here and be comfy with y'all if that's okay. So I'd like you to find a Bible and open it up tonight, Revelation uh, chapter 10. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Apocalypse, the book of end times. And it's been a minute since we gathered together to study uh, the book of Revelation. And I just want to do a very quick a little review of uh, what we've seen so far and where we're at as we turn now uh, to chapter 10. Uh, so in the, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, these are letters that are written by Jesus to the various churches in the, in the area of Asia Minor. Chapter 4, we saw, is a, a direct description of the throne room of God. From that description of the very throne room of God and the presence of God, then we saw in chapter 5, where uh, the Lamb of God takes the scrolls. The scroll of all time, the scroll that lays out the plan of God for the future. Uh, But it had been sealed up with seven seals. And so um, there was none worthy in heaven or on earth to open the scroll until the Lamb shows up. And you remember uh, that when the Lamb begins to open those, those seals, that with each seal that was broken off of the scroll, it was also uh, coincided with uh, end times events that were taking place. We saw that when the first seal was, was taken, there was a conqueror that came to conquer the earth. The second seal was removed and it, it uh, uh, released great conflict on the earth. The third seal, the fourth seal, there was on and on terrible, terrible things that began to take place. And I think, uh, I think this fan is possessed. <clears throat> so we're going to turn him off. And uh, then it was interesting that after the sixth seal, this is going to be important for our study tonight, after the sixth seal was removed, there was cosmic disturbances in the sky, and then there was a pause. In between the sixth and the seventh seal, we have chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, where we get a description of the 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel that were sealed uh, for the day. Uh, It was a multitude from the Great Tribulation. We talked about that. And then uh, after the six seals, then we talked about those 144,000. 
And then we have in chapter 8, the seventh seal. When the seventh of all seven of those seals were, uh, were removed from the scroll, then the scroll was able to be opened up and then restarted. The last time we were together, we looked at chapters 8 and chapter 9. Uh, and these now are describing to us the trumpets. So just like there were seven seals, there are also seven trumpets. And with each trumpet, every trumpet blast that is blasted out, uh, it is coinciding again with end times events that are happening on the earth. And so can somebody tell me uh, what some of these seals were and what they meant, maybe what you remember from them? What do you remember from the last time that we were together? Anybody at all? What do you remember from the seven trumpets? Oh, Noel's not here to answer all my good questions. It was very similar to the plagues. That's right, the plagues of Egypt. Uh, so we have the first trumpet where the vegetation of the earth is struck, the second trumpet that the seas are struck, the waters, the, the, uh, both the salt water and the fresh water of the earth, all of them become soiled, all of them become deadly. Uh, fourth trumpet, the heavens are struck. The fifth trumpet, we talked about these locusts. Remember the, 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 the demonic locusts that came out from the earth and uh, they don't, uh, they're currently not on the earth. These are not locusts that we can find on the earth today. These are locusts that are prepared by God for these last days to execute God's judgment on the earth. And they sounded pretty horrible, didn't they? They sounded uh, uh, like um, it said that they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, uh, not to touch any of those who had the seal of God on their foreheads. And then it said that they were given the authority to torment the people on the earth, to sting them, right? Uh, it, It spoke about their teeth were like lion's teeth. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots. Uh, Their tails were like scorpions. The sting was in their tail. And it said that in those days that men would, would, would strive for death, that they would yearn for the moment that they could die, but they would not meet that end. So in other words, people are suffering so badly, they wish they could, they could just die, uh, but death is not meeting with them. So it's a very, very bad scene as these trumpets are blasting. And with each one, the world is getting worse and worse and worse. The, the conditions on the earth are in terrible conditions. But here's the point of all of those things from chapter 9. We're going we're gonna to jump into some new territory here, Mike. Um, but in verse 21 of uh, chapter 9, it said this, this, these words, They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So in other words, let me ask you this question tonight. Why is God allowing all of this evil to transpire on the earth? Why is he allowing these trumpets? Is this part of God's plan? And if so, why is he allowing it? Yes, Mike. Say it one more time in the microphone there. Oh. 
<laughs> to really give the people an opportunity to know that this is the end and yeah. the signs of the end. So, yes, absolutely. All of these things have been prophesied. In fact, if you do an Old Testament study, you will discover that everything that's happening in these future times have already been described by the prophets of old. So nothing here is new. It's just that it's been predicted. Now it's coming to pass. Mike, you want to add to that? Um, Pastor, um, in, during all this time in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation, would people have a chance to come to God and, and get saved? Yes, of course. Okay, okay. We are living in the age of grace. We are living in a time that we can still approach God in his mercy. And in fact, it did describe a group of people who have repented in these times. Those 144,000 who are symbolic of all of God's people, but also that there are real people on the earth at that time who, uh, who, who had not been raptured. And uh, there, there is some internal discussion about when exactly rapture will take place and so let's not be completely definitive uh, i believe that uh that there is going to be a rapture of the church that the church will be removed before all of this bad stuff starts happening uh but there is some disagreement among christians whether that rapture takes place before or in the middle of or even at the end of all of these events uh but or or if it will happen at all so uh christians can disagree about those things as different interpretations about the scripture but, um, but for sure, there will be opportunity for people to still get saved during this time. Now, the Bible does say that in these last days, that the, the influence of the Holy Spirit will be greatly diminished on the earth. So uh, I will not say that it's going to be easy, right? Living for God is never easy. But especially during this time when the Antichrist has taken dominion over the earth, Especially in this time when Christians are being killed on every hand, it would be very, very difficult to live for God in these times. And so uh, imagine a scenario that the rapture happens today. It could happen in about five minutes, right? And my prayer would be that everyone who's here would be raptured together. We would meet the Lord in the air. But the reality is that probably not everyone has a real relationship with Jesus. Not everyone who goes to church, I'm, I'm not singling anybody out tonight, but not everyone who goes to a church service is right with God, are they? And so when that rapture takes place, it will be a great revealing moment that the true faith of the true believers will be revealed and there will be people left behind. And this is the inspiration for the whole Left Behind series written by Jerry Jenkins and, and, uh, and what's his name? Tim LaHaye, thank you. And, uh, and so this was their inspiration that there is a group of people that have knowledge of the things of God, that have knowledge of the Bible, were church people, but were not raptured. And so now this, uh, this incredible task of trying to live for God in this time of tribulation. So it's going to be much harder. If you think it's hard living for God now, it's going to be 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times harder uh, during this time of tribulation. Okay, so now, uh, after all of these plagues that have taken place, these trumpets are being sounded, and with each trumpet, the conditions on the earth are getting worse and worse, and now we've reached a point where even those who have holdouts of power, even rich people who have mansions and moats, even they cannot escape the devastating consequences of what's happening now on the earth. 
And it says, even after all of these terrible things, they did not repent. This, to me, is a little preview of why there must be a hell. There must be a hell, because God is so holy that He is not going to drag people to heaven kicking and screaming. He will not do that. He will not twist people's arms to get saved. He's trying to show them we've had 2,000 years of God's grace to respond to the gospel, and now God is trying to execute judgment on the earth, but still... They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality or thefts. And now we get to chapter 10, where we're going to pick up our new, um, uh, uh, our new information. And just in the same way that there was a pause, remember, between the sixth seal and the seventh seal that were taken off the scrolls, now we are at the moment where the sixth trumpet has sounded, but the seventh is still yet to come. And again, sticking with the same pattern, there is a pause in the narrative. There is a break in the pattern. And so this is where we find ourselves now in chapter 10, where we get some uh, something new in the midst of all of these trumpets. So uh, maybe we can have someone read. Mr. Andre is going to read verses one through four for us right in the microphone so we can all hear him well. That one might be dead. Try it again. Yeah. (laughs) Where's the other one? So the reason why I am uh, trying to make sure we get everything in the microphone is because we want this to be on our recording. Uh, There have been people who've been listening to these studies on our podcast, and I've received feedback from them. So it's, it's good for us to, uh, to have a discussion that is recorded. And I saw another, another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he sat his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roared. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Okay, so let's do a little digging here. Uh, I wonder if you want to uh, take a guess at who this angel might be and why is he so important in this narrative of the seven trumpets anybody want to want to take a guess tonight mike it's jesus some have uh some have said that that is the case it's possible i think it's more likely that this is exactly what it says it is a mighty angel coming down from heaven And uh, uh, the reason that I say that is because there's no other place in the New Testament that Jesus is literally called an angel. Although uh, you could make the case that Jesus, what is an angel ultimately? An angel is a messenger from God. So Jesus could be a messenger. I'm not ruling it out completely. But 
Um, the Bible does say about him, let's, let's look at this description. First of all, that he is a mighty angel. He is clothed with a cloud. What do you, what do you uh, think that, that means, clothed with a cloud? Yes? Righteousness? Purity? What do you think a cloud means? I believe that it's like um, a, a cloud, which has all the, you know, the thunder and the lightning and the rainbows and the rain and the, and the, um, the sunshine rays that come through it. Oh, yeah. It's very impressive. Absolutely. Ramon, want to add to that? It seems to me when, when, it's, when it says the the... He came clothed with a cloud. It seems to me referring that he came from heaven. Mm -hmm. He comes from heaven, for sure. So remember that, uh, hey, Joe, maybe it's better if you just stay in one of these seats closer to everybody. Uh, And that one's dead. So, oh, you got batteries now. Okay, good. Okay, so, um, so it seems to me, remember now that we are still in the ancient world, right? This is still 2,000 years ago before we have a whole lot of understanding about meteorology, about things that are happening in the sky, about thunder, about lightning, about clouds. And so this is a, this is a great way to describe um, the power of nature, right? So when they say that he was clothed with the cloud, it's almost like he has dominion over the created world, right? A rainbow was on his head. What does that, what does that remind you of? The covenant, the covenant of Noah. And so the homosexuals have tried to steal the, uh, the, the icon of the rainbow. Uh, but when they, when they see this rainbow, they're not going to be joyful. Okay, this is the rainbow that is on the head of this mighty angel. And it is a reminder of the promise of God. What was the promise of God that he gave to Noah with the sign of the rainbow? Mr. Andre? He would never destroy the earth again in that same way with water. Very good. Okay, so we also have that his face was like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire. So um, this is quite an impressive appearance. Now, we get a little bit more description of him uh, that he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Right foot on the sea and left foot on the land. What does that, uh, what does that, what do you think that that is pointing to? What's the imagery giving us? Dave? That he has uh, dominion over land and sea. Land and sea, yeah. So again, here's this angel uh, who uh, has all of these symbols of power and authority and might so uh, that his feet are standing upon. So Remember in the Jewish mind that the sea was a frightening place. They would think of the sea as, you know, people would go out to sea to go fishing and they would never come home. Most people would know people that the sea had taken them. And so the sea was not something to be admired. It was something to be feared. And so here's an angel who's literally standing with his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, as if to say uh, that he is in control or has dominion over these things. Yes. 
since we're looking at that, I just want to, like, go back up to that one thing about the clouds. Yep. So, like, if his feet is on the land and sea, I mean, he got dominion over all, um, everything on the land and sea. So, it, when he's in the cloud, that's, like, dominion over everything's in the air. Sure. Yeah. On the sea, on the land, it's like, it's like the armed forces. <laughs> in the air, <laughs> we've got dominion everywhere, right? And, uh, and so de- depictions, I've seen people uh, who have painted this angel, and they literally like paint him like 200 feet tall, like massive, huge. And, uh, and he's there to deliver a message. But listen, listen to the message. It says that when he cried out, uh, verse 3, cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. That sounds pretty crazy. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. So he's speaking, and it's like a voice that is able to be heard by all the earth. And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Okay, so why? What, what is it that is in this message that this mighty angel has to say, do you think, what, that that we shouldn't be knowing about, that John, John is about to write it down, but then he says, don't write that down. You can write down everything else, what you're seeing, the description, but the message is something reserved only for those who are about to hear it. Mike? Judgment. judgment. It's possible that it's judgment. Anybody else want to take a guess? Yeah? Maybe it's the voice of God himself. The voice of God certainly could be. Oh, we got a guess up here. Gabby? Maybe he wants people to like, like he doesn't want them to know because he wants them to like make a choice. Well, I think that the voice that is being uttered is meant to be heard by the people that are on the earth at that time. It's just not meant for us to know it. So John is seeing these things. He's seeing a depiction of future events that are taking place. And as he sees this mighty angel standing on the land and sea, he hears the message, but he is reminded, uh, don't write those things down. That message is only for the people who are on the earth at that time. It's not for those of us who have come before. And, uh, and why do you think that is? There's something that Jesus said that gives us a clue about this. Yes. No man knows the hour that he's returning. No man knows the day or the hour. That's right. So, <clears throat> so perhaps what is written uh, or what this angel speaks about has to do with the timing, has to do with the exact day or hour that this, these last days are taking place. Maybe he pronounces a year or a time or a day of the month, or, you know, he, he is literally giving the message uh, that judgment is about to fall, and with some date and time format on it. And so, uh, and so why is that important for us not to know? Why is it important that Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, only the Father? He says, not even the Son of Man knows the day, but only the Father who is in heaven. Dave? If we knew the day and the hour, we would all sin right up until the last <laughs> very second. <laughs> Human nature, man, is that, yeah, unfortunately, that, that's us. We, we live up to the deadline. It's like when the teacher gives a summer project, right? 
And you, you have two months to put it together. You have uh, all summer to do your summer project. But when does the summer project happen? It happens the week before school starts. Because that's human nature. We procrastinate. We, uh, we wait till the last moment. And in the same way, if, if, uh, if we knew that Jesus was coming back in the year 2025, then we would live like little hellions until about 2024, and then we would try to get our acts together, but honestly, we wouldn't be able to do that, right? So we live every day. We live every day with the expectation Jesus could come in five minutes. Every church generation has lived with that expectation that Jesus can come right now. Mr. Andre. <laughs> well, we also live with the expectation we don't know where death is at because death right. can come at any second. That's you right. Know, so we live with that expectation as well. We live with the expectation that life is fragile. It's like a vapor, a vapor of a cloud which appears for a day and is gone tomorrow. And if you think that you're, it's guaranteed you're going to wake up tomorrow, uh, then you need to check your heart because we are not guaranteed the next breath even. We, uh, a life came from God, and God can take life at any moment, and it's his right. You want to add to that? Yeah, just to that. Like, so when he said that it was sealed up, <clears throat> I think also, like, um, God's ultimate plan. You know, like, if we would get God's ultimate plan in this book, um, <clears throat> like, I think God's his ultimate plan is, is, reve- is not revealed to us until the end. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So I believe, like, if it was written, if John would have, like, wrote everything that he saw, we would have access to God's ultimate plan right now. Sure. And, and so this is what I love about the Bible, is that it gives us enough to, to grip our hearts. It gives us enough. I mean, we have lots of information about what's going to happen, but it doesn't give us enough details that we can pinpoint it on the map of history, right? And so um, this, is, this is typical of what God does with our lives, isn't it? That when you got saved, God didn't show you how every day of your life was going to play out. Because if he did, you'd probably be scared to death and you'd run from God. Uh, So what he does is he says, live for me today. Right? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. uh, Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Let's live for God today. Let's do what we can today. Let's get accomplished what we can today. And we'll worry about tomorrow when it comes. And that is a wonderful way to live. It's a, it's a place where we can live by faith. Now, this angel speaks, and he has a message that is so precise and so specific that it can only be heard by the people that are on the earth at that moment. Now, the Bible also says in verse 2 about this angel that he had a little book open in his hand. A little book. Now, this is interesting because of what happens next. So let's read verses 5 through 7. Who wants to read that for me? Patrick, go ahead. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Okay, so he's giving a little prelude to what's going to happen when this seventh trumpet sounds. 
What is the number seven? What, is it, what does it represent? Yes? Completion. Completion or perfection. It's the number of God. God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. So this idea of seven, seven is the time of completion. So we have seven seals. And the seventh seal has been lifted. We're reading the scroll now. And as we're reading the scroll, we have six trumpets. We're leading up to the seventh trumpet. In, uh, in many places, it, Jesus says, the last trumpet will sound and then the kingdom of God will come. All right? That's what we're leading up to here. The seventh trumpet is the time where Jesus takes control again of the world. So he's, he's leading up to this amazing uh, seventh trumpet. And, uh, and so he's making a little prelude here. He's saying uh, here in this, in this paragraph, the God who created heaven, the things that are in the earth, the things that are on the earth and the sea, that there will be no more delay. All right, the time of waiting is gone. But when the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God will be finished. So we will no longer wonder when the time is coming, right? The mystery is about to be revealed. So now we get our attention back on that little book that I spoke about. So I need somebody to read uh, verses uh, 8 through 11. Yeah, Gabby. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to take me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, made me bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy how about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Okay. Now, that would be very weird if it had not already happened. But there is an account in the Bible where this exact same thing happened before. And so I need somebody to find Ezekiel chapter 3. Who wants to volunteer? Mom, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey is sweetness. Okay. So this is certainly uh, symbolic of something, right? So I, I don't think that there is a literal eating of a book going on here. But what I think is that this is, this is a pointing to what it means to ingest and digest the Word of God. Okay? So the idea is both in Ezekiel and here in Revelation chapter 10, 
that both of these men of God, both Ezekiel and the Apostle John, are being instructed to eat, to ingest, and to digest the Word of God. And why is it? What is the next thing that God is telling them to do? To prophesy. What does that mean? To prophesy. Yes, Luis? Uh, To spread the word. Okay, and so this is very, very helpful for us tonight. Because this is exactly how it is for us when we hear the word of God. For us who are saved, for us who are trying to make heaven our home, the word of God is like honey in our mouth. When you eat the honey, you know, when we go to Chick-fil-A, my girls are running to the little stand where they give out the free stuff, and there's little packets of honey there, and it's like every time they get a little dessert before we eat Chick-fil-A, because that honey is so sweet and so delicious, and it is, it's like heaven in your mouth, right? And when we come to the Word of God, this is the correct response for those of us who love God, that we also, we love His Word. We love to hear his voice. We love to hear him instructing us and helping us and giving us revelation. That's why we have revivals. That's why we have church services. That's why we have Bible studies. Because the word of God, when we eat it, when we ingest it, it's sweetness in our mouth. But what happens next? Oh, Lord, I ate too much. It's like Thanksgiving Day. When I ate too much, it said, he said, uh, verse 9, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. What does that mean? What does, why is it that when we ingest the word of God, it tastes good when we ingest it, but then it makes us bitter. It makes our stomach, there's a churning going on. Yes, Mike Dawson. Might be a, a hunger for more. Hunger for more? Yeah. Want to add to that, Mom? It's difficult to um, uh, process. Absolutely. It's difficult to process. And we see this in Ezekiel. The book that Ezekiel was called to eat, it says on the very verse before that, in chapter 2, verse 10, it said that he spread the scroll before me, and there was writing on the inside on, on, on the outside, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Lamentations, mourning, and woe. This is not the happy, uh, happy juice and band-aid preaching of Joel Osteen. Okay, this is lamentations, mourning, and woe. This is not happy stuff. And so when we, when we take it in, you know, when we, we hear the preacher, we say, Amen, preacher. But then if you begin to process that into your life, when we begin to examine our own hearts and our own practices and our own words and our own intentions and motivations, ooh, it begins to bubble and boil. Because that means I've got to change. And when John begins to process what he has heard from this mighty angel, The effect is the same, that he's excited. He's excited because now the mystery of God is about to be revealed. The day of the Lord is about to happen. And the message now is going to have to go out to the whole earth. And he's happy about this, like honey in his mouth. He's happy. But then he realizes, 
that the word of God means that there's a whole lot of people that are going to die. And this becomes very troublesome to him. Right? So he is, uh, he is obedient. He takes it. He eats it. He says, uh, it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I, eat, when I had eaten it, my uh, stomach became bitter. Because he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so now the Apostle John is given this task to become a prophet to these uh, disobedient, rebellious people that are still on the earth. So do you like it when somebody tells you that you're doing something wrong? You enjoy that process? What happens to the messenger when you bring a message of woe, lamentation, and mourning? You shoot the messenger, right? What happened to all the prophets of the Old Testament? Almost all of them. They were all persecuted, put in jails, tormented. What happened to the greatest prophet of all time, Jesus Christ? He was put on a cross and crucified. So for them, receiving the word of God was like honey in their mouth. It was a joyful occasion. It was sweet to them personally. But then they had to deliver. I know what this is like as a preacher sometimes. As I'm preparing a message, I'm excited to deliver. I'm excited what God is speaking to me about as I'm preparing sermons and thinking about people, how it's going to help, how it's going to move. But then to stand up behind the pulpit is often very difficult. Is often uh, I have to deliver news of mourning, lamentation, and woe. And it's not always fun. This is true not just for the preacher. This is true for every Christian, wherever you're at in your life. There are times God's going to speak to you God's going to give you words, and they're going, to be, they're going to cause trouble in your life. Whether it means you have to change, you have to change your life, your ways, your words, how you spend your money. You know, that's... Or whether you're going to have to judge something in someone else's life, right? Whether you're going to have to make a stand. You know, I can't be with you anymore because when I'm with you I don't want to live for God I've had to break friendships I've had to cut people off we've had to judge sin as a church from time to time and that's hard it brings a bitterness it brings difficulty into our lives but that is what the word of God does right everybody still with me okay all right so the mighty angel speaks a word to the last days world and he uh he delivers this little book for john to eat because he is going to be the one that brings the message to the rest of the world now we're in verse or chapter 11 verse 1 and it starts to get very interesting again we're right here in the middle we're in a pause between the sixth trumpet and the seventh and final trumpet as the lord is about to return and here in chapter 11 let's read uh this next paragraph who's going to volunteer to read Ramon, verses 1 through 3. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God on the altar, and then and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple live out, and measure it not. For it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city sh- shall they treat under 
foot forty and two months, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, cloth in sackcloth. Okay, so a couple of things that are very interesting here. Uh, we we find ourselves measuring the temple of God, and we also meeting two new characters that have uh, not been in the book of Revelation so far. So, um, first of all, John is given a reed like a measuring rod. This is how you would measure distances, kind of like how we have a yardstick or a ruler uh, in our modern world. Uh, So he's given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel, the same angel that we met in chapter 10, says to the Apostle John, rise and measure the temple of God. Now, this is where, uh, uh, this is where it's very uh, connected to end days time and prophecies because um, there is some disagreement for Bible uh, scholars whether this temple is just a vision of John, that he's just seeing this, but it, that would be strange because nothing else is, is given just as a vision, right? So he's actually seeing a, a, a mighty angel standing on real land and real water who has a real rainbow on his forehead and the voice is thundering. And so what I'm saying is that none of this so far in chapter 10 or chapter 11, it's not presented to us as a dream or as a vision, okay? And so the reason that that's important is because this tells us that there will be a temple on the earth at this time. And John is given a measuring rod to go and measure this temple. So why is that important to us today? Because as of this moment, Dave? If I have heard right, they're reconstructing that temple right now. (laughs) That is exactly right. So up until today there has not been a temple in Israel, right? The temple was destroyed in the year 70 A.D. by the Roman authorities, the Roman Empire. They tore down the temple. It says stone by stone, just like Jesus predicted. And now for the last almost 2,000 years, there has been no temple. There is a temple mount. You've seen pictures in Jerusalem. There's a mount, which is the platform that the temple was standing on. But today, what is there on the temple mount? A mosque. A mosque, that's right. And for, for many hundreds of years now, in Jerusalem, there has been an uh, Islamic mosque s- sitting on top of that uh, temple mount in Jerusalem, and there has been no Jewish temple for all these thousands of years. Okay, But when this is taking place, the temple has been rebuilt. So that's why it's important when it comes to last day's prophecy, it's important that we understand about the nation of Israel, okay? Now think about this. If we were living 100 years ago, if we were living in the year 1911, wait, what year are we in? 1919. Imagine we were uh, just finishing with the World War. There is no Israel 100 years ago, right? Imagine that we are having the same Bible study on the same book of Revelation and we read that same scripture. And we would say to ourselves, it's nearly impossible for a temple to ever be built, right? 
because the Jewish people are spread out across the world. They have no nation. They have no land to call their own. Jerusalem was uh, in the hands of other people. They're, but the world has radically changed in the last hundred years, hasn't it? In the year 1948, the Jews reclaimed their homeland. Uh, they expanded it in 1967, the six, seven-day, six-day, six-day war, seven-day war, whatever that is. And they expanded their territory. And now, since 1948 until today, the, the Jews have had their own homeland. Jerusalem is, is the capital of their homeland. And they have their own nation. Again, it's a miracle. What other nation can you think of that was gone for 1,900 years, dispersed, and then re, uh, reformulated and came back together can you tell me another nation? The Roman Empire has not done that, right? The Greek Empire has not done that. But the Jews, this little tiny population on the earth, somehow was able to bring it back together. They have their original language in Hebrew. They still are a people, by and large, of the book. They have, a, you know, the Torah. And, and it, so what I'm saying is the difference between 100 years ago and today is a major difference. Because a hundred years ago, Christians would read that scripture and they say, I don't see how this could ever happen. But today, the plans have already been made. There is a group that even today, even in the last few years, they've already created the blueprints for a third temple. First temple was built under Solomon. It was destroyed. Second temple was rebuilt. But that was destroyed in the time after Jesus. But there will be a third temple. The plans have already been laid. They've got a location already laid out. So I'm telling you this because there has to be a temple in the land of Israel for all of these events to take place. So when you hear about a temple being built, what that means is that we are fast-forwarding into the events of the book of Revelation. The Bible says that there will be an event that takes place in the temple. It speaks about the abomination of desolation. We'll read about that in future chapters. Where the Antichrist will make a sacrifice of a pig on the altar in the temple. It's going to desecrate the altar of the Jews. right? The blood of an unclean animal in their temple. And this is a mark of, uh, of ultimate desecration against God. And so, uh, But what I'm saying is that a hundred years ago, they saw no possibility of this ever being able to happen. But now, now it's very possible. The plans have already been laid. They already have land laid aside. They've been building the furniture for the temple. They've been laying gold in all of these, just like is laid out in the Old Testament. They've been creating all the articles. They've been doing all the things necessary. And uh, it is probably going to be built very soon. So we are in a much different place than we were 100 years ago or even 50 years ago. Everybody with me? Okay, so uh, it seemed inconceivable that Israel would ever live again. But here we are, watching the miracle of God bringing his people back together so that the events of these last days can take place. So rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, here we get some timing that's interesting. 
They will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. How long is that exactly? How many years? It's three and a half years. All right? And then later on it says, I will give power to two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. Anybody know how long that is? 1,260 days. It's three and a half years. It's exactly the same amount of time. And so this is why, uh, this is why we, we say that the, the, the time of tribulation is a seven-year time span that's split up into two. The first half, three and a half years. Second half, three and a half years. And so uh, that's where we are. We're right in the middle of this. Okay, now let's talk about these two witnesses, and then we're going to close out for this evening. The two witnesses. Yes. Months. That is an interesting question. So uh, let me read this for you. Um, yes. The 1,260 days in which two unnamed witnesses prophesy, prophesy for the Lord is in contrast to the 42 months of the previous scripture. So um, it, it, all it does is it's marking the, the two different times, first half and second half. And I think it's, it's making sure that we understand that the first half of those seven years is going to be very different from the second half. But other than that, I can't really give you a good answer. <laughs> okay, so let's look at these two witnesses. Two witnesses. God is going to give them power, and they are going to be prophesying. So we get a little more information about them in verses 4 through 6. Who wants to read that? Denise. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Okay, so these uh, two witnesses have some supernatural abilities. Um, so let me just add to my answer, Caitlin. Um, we get some more context about this time frame of 42 months or versus 1,260 days. We also have information about this in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, he's prophesying also about the same time frame, which is Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. So um, it's interesting that, that in Revelation, we don't really get a whole lot of details because... This is being written to a Jewish audience, and uh, they are going to expect that we understand that this is connected to previous prophecy. So immediately, the Jews who would read this, would, would, their minds would go back to the book of Daniel. Um, does somebody have that ready to read? Got that? Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish. So hold on, 70 sets of seven. That's 70 weeks. Uh, one set of seven is a week, right? So seven days makes a week. So 70 sets of seven 
is it means 70 weeks, which is a time period of exactly three and a half years. Go ahead. Had, um, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Um, no. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Okay, so there's that event that I, that I spoke about, the uh, abomination of desolation. Yes? I'm, I know I'm not good at math, <laughs> but when you we, we said 70 sets of seven, isn't that a year and a half, not three and a half years? Um, 52 weeks. Oh, yeah, you're right. So that's not three and a half years. <laughs> but um, so th- what this is laying out for us is, uh, is basically time frames. And, and there's differing points of view on how we should interpret this. So, again, we're, we're not given exact dates by any means because of the reasons we talked about earlier. But we are given a certain time frames. So let me read this, um, this little um, uh, commentary on what we are supposed to take away from these 70 sets of seven and 62 sets of seven. So there will be a period of seven weeks of years. So not just seven weeks, but seven weeks of years. In other words, 49 years. And then followed by 62 weeks of years, which means 434 years, making a total of 69 weeks of years or 483 years from the decree until the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. So the starting point of the prophecy, so this prophecy has to do of when Jesus is coming the first time, right? Okay, so the starting point of that prophecy begins on March 5th of 444 BC. So then followed by 69 weeks of 360 day biblical years or 173,880 days and culminated on the year AD 33, the date that Jesus the Messiah came into Jerusalem. There is an exact time frame between what's happening in the days of Daniel and the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem the first time. Okay? So this book of Daniel was amazing because it predicted to the day when Messiah would come and be put to death before the destruction of Israel in the year A.D. 70. Now, the final seven year or the 70th week will begin when the coming prince shall confirm a covenant of peace with many in the leadership of Israel. So um, the, the middle of the week has to do with the first three and a half years, the Antichrist. Remember, the week of years, remember? So seven-year seven, seven year time frame. They call that a week of years. So in the middle of that week, 
is we're talking about the time of tribulation. So don't get lost in all these details. It just means that God has been predicting these things to happen for a long, long time. Okay? This is, this is, uh, this is something that is being spoken to Jewish ears that they would have gotten it immediately. But for us, it, it's a little bit harder because we're not as well instructed in the Old Testament prophecies. Okay, so uh, in the midst of this seven-year time frame, in the middle, in those three and a half years have passed, and now we're in the middle, and we meet these two witnesses. They are the two olive trees. Um, so there's some, there's some symbolism here that has to do with these, with these uh, witnesses that we should catch. So olive trees, what does that mean? What's special about olive trees, Mike? Oil, they produce olive oil. Jaylee? It has olives. <laughs> yes. What else is special about olive trees? Yes? They're plentiful in Israel. They are plentiful in Israel, that's true. Olive trees have the reputation of being some of the longest living trees on the earth. They have the longest lifespan. So, um, so first of all, we learn that they're compared to two olive trees, which means that they are going to live a long time, longer than they really should. Okay, the two lampstands. What's that symbol? Dave, you want to add to that? Uh, I didn't think it meant that they were going to live a long time. I thought it meant that they had already lived a long time. Like they're very, very, very old. This is also yeah, true. Okay, and two lampstands. What's the symbolism of a lampstand? They produce light. Yes. Yes, that's true. Who else is called lampstands? Joe? The nation of Israel is called a lampstand. Who else is called lampstands? The church is called a lampstand. Okay, Jesus said you don't light a lamp and put it under a, a bushel, right? The church is supposed to be a lamp shining, producing light for the world to see. Okay, so in the same way, these witnesses are called to do the same thing, to bring the light of God to a darkened world. Okay, so look what else we see about them. Verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Whoa. Can you think of any other characters in the Word of God who killed their enemies with fire. Yes. Um, in when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the fire. Nope, that's not what we're going for. Okay, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there was a prophet who called down fire. Elijah. Okay, so uh, some people say that these two witnesses could be prophets. Elijah and Moses, uh, in the same way that they came down on the Mount of Transfiguration to speak with Jesus. Now they've got another ministry in these uh, last days events. It could be them. We don't know that for sure. Dave? One of the reasons they think that is because the powers that they have are basically some of the plagues that were given to Egypt, and also they have uh, shut up heaven so that no rain comes down. I was getting there. It's in the next verse. Verse 6. It says, These have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophets. Can you think of someone else who shut the heavens for three years? 
That would be Elijah, right? Uh, they have power over waters to turn them to blood. Can you think of another prophet who had the powers to turn water to blood? Moses. Moses. They have to strike the earth with plagues as often as they... Who else had the power to strike the earth with plagues? Well, that would also be Moses. So there's some hints here that this could be Moses and Elijah, the same prophets who came down to speak with Jesus. Who knows? Maybe when they came on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is what they were talking about. Could be. You don't know. We don't know exactly that these two witnesses are Elijah and Moses because they're not named, but that is a really good clue. Now, verse 7, what happens to these witnesses in this crucial time before the seventh trumpet is blown? It says, when they finish their testimony, so they are testifying to the world. They are delivering the message of God, the same message that was sweet in the mouth, but then became bitter in the stomach of John. And here they are prophesying to the world about the events that are about to take place, and, and nothing can stop them from this job. People, the, the Antichrist, no doubt, will try to destroy them. They're going to bring tanks and guns and bombs, but the fire of God is going to destroy every enemy until their testimony is finished. All right? And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and will kill them. So, uh, unfortunately, it's the same result from every other prophet that has come to the earth. God's trying to deliver news that's going to help people, but the people don't want to be helped. And so uh, they will kill these two witnesses. Verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? In Jerusalem, outside the city gate. Okay, and then verse 9, those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, everyone in the world, will see their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. Why is that an interesting point? Anybody want to take, take a shot? Because the last time someone's put in a grave, he rose. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, there, there's another reason, but that's a good one. They want to televise that they're dead. And everybody's going to be celebrating that these two... Two um, powerful prophets are dead. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to televise their resurrection. Ah. There's another reason, though, that they don't want to put them in the grave. They don't want to bury them. They want them to lie out there uh, for, for these three and a half days and, and look at their dead bodies. There's a reason why. Yes? To be a witness. Yes. Add to that, Patrick? Maybe to watch them decompose? Well, in only three days, there's not going to be much decomposition. So think about why do we bury bodies? Ah, very good, Caitlin. It's a sign of respect. We are honoring people with a burial. We're putting them to rest. And so by purposefully keeping from burying them, we are keeping them out for all the world to see. It is a sign of mockery. We are mocking them. The rest of the world, the rebellious, sinful world that refuses to repent, the cameras are going to be on the dead bodies for these three and a half days as a sign of mockery. And the world, the unbelieving world, will be rejoicing. 
all of the demons from hell will be mocking. Right? And that's exactly what it says. The beast will come. Who's the beast? The devil. The Antichrist is often called the beast in the end times. Um, so, uh, so he will personally watch over the mockery. He's not going to allow them to have a proper burial. Okay? But as it always happens, God is going to take these evil events that were meant for, for bad and he's going to turn them for good. All right? So those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. This is verse 10. We'll make merry and send gifts to one another. It's going to be a worldwide party because we defeated those naysayers. We defeated those ugly old prophets who were saying all those nasty things. We don't want to hear from them anyway. So look at them and the world's going to party because, that, because they think that they've triumphed over God himself. That's, that's the message here. God thinks he can interrupt our fun. But we killed his prophets. And we're going to make a party over this. Now in verse 11, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. They ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Still, we're talking about Jerusalem. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God, the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is quickly coming. And then we find in the the end of chapter 11, we're going to rush to the end here so we can end this tonight. So, the seventh trumpet is finally blown. So think of all that God has done. Think of how many times God has made His message clear to the world. And He gives the world one last chance to repent. Because they've killed the prophets, they've killed these two witnesses. He resurrects them in front of all the world to see. And only in, in our world today could this happen, by the way. Because only in the last 50 to 100 years... Do we have the technology for an event like this to be worldwide? Again, imagine if we were reading this 100 years ago, before TV, before Internet, before smartphones. But now, everybody's got a TV in their pocket. And these events can be broadcast to the world in real time. That's why you're hearing so much end times prophecy in our generation. Because these things can only happen now. They couldn't have happened before and so god has given the world so many opportunities to repent and now the seventh trumpet is about to sound verse 15 the seventh angel sounded there were voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever And the 24 elders, remember them from chapter 4? These are human beings who stand before the throne day and night, casting their crowns before the Lord. So we see them again in this scripture. The 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God. And they take a moment 
to proclaim to God who He is, to worship Him. We give You thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the One who is and who was and who is to come. Because You have taken Your great power and reigned. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that You should reward Your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear Your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now listen, verse 19. The temple of God was opened in heaven. Whoa! What does that mean? I'm not exactly sure. Does it mean that now the kingdom of heaven has come to where the temple is? Possibly. Does it mean that there's another temple in heaven that reopens and everybody sees it? We're not sure exactly. But the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of His covenant. Remember the ark? The Old Testament? The one that nobody knows where it is except for Indiana Jones? The ark of the covenant? The one that was lost so many years ago? So now we see the ark of His covenant was seen in His temple. There were lightnings. There were noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail throughout the earth. All right, so what is happening here at the sounding of the seventh trumpet? It's the completion of all of these prophecies. Everything has been leading up to this. There, uh, the reason that this is important for us to understand, there are far more prophecies about the second coming of Christ than there are about the first coming. Jesus came the first time as the Lamb, the one who surrendered His life, the one who gave His life a ransom for many. We sang that song this morning. Jesus is the Lamb, and He's also the Lion. The first time Jesus came as a Lamb, who willingly gave His life, He was meek and mild and humble and gentle, taught us how to live and how to serve. But the second time, He's coming in a far different way. He is coming as a conquering lion. And this is the first moment that his kingdom is coming back to the earth. For the first time in a long time, God's kingdom has full dominion on the earth again. Did you see what it said? The loud voices of heaven after the seventh trumpet sounded, they said the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. This is what the devil tried to give to Jesus when he tempted him. Remember that? He took him up to the top of a high peak and he said, all the kingdoms of this world I will give to you. And Satan had that to give to him. Truly, Satan has dominion over this earth as it is now, right? And Jesus could have taken control at that time under the leadership of the enemy if only he would have bowed down to Satan. But we know that Jesus endured that temptation and he did not bow down to Satan at that time because the time was not right. And there's a good lesson for us that the kingdoms of this world belong to Jesus, but not that time. The time is still coming. Okay? That there are things in your life that is good for you to take. It is good for you to embrace, but sometimes we have to wait for the right time. To take it at, at, at that time at the top of the pinnacle was not the right time for Jesus. But in our scripture here in verse, in chapter 11, in verse 
uh, 10, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Dave. Um, it's in interesting that the three temptations that the devil gave Jesus, uh, they were things that were already, uh, that Jesus could easily have anyway that were rightfully his yeah. at that time, just not yet. Yes. So, uh, for example, the uh, stones that become bread, um, if you've ever, if anybody's ever been to Israel and gone to that valley, the stones in that valley actually look like little loaves of bread. Right. And so it's like, you know, hey, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to eat here soon anyway f after your 40 days of fasting, mm -hmm. you know, and just go ahead and do it now. Yeah. Why, why wait? And, you know, jumping off the temple and let angels will minister to you. Well, the angels did come and minister yep. to him when he was done. And then the same thing here with, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world now. Right. But, you know, and they're all his and he does get them. So Satan is in the business of offering you things that you should want to have, but just at the wrong time, right? The, the world offers you um, uh, sexual fulfillment, but outside of God's plan. And he'll say, oh, it'll be great. You can have this as much as you want, but not at the right time. And when it's not the right time, it's destruction. But when you wait until the right time, then it is blessed by God. Are we right? And so this is a principle that we are living now in a time that God has already taken dominion over our lives. We are living today in a world that still belongs to the devil, but we are living as if it already belongs to Jesus. So we are living in this weird time, this paradox, where Satan still has control, but Jesus is coming back soon. In some ways, Jesus has already conquered death. We know that he holds the keys of death and hell, right? He had taken them from the enemy. But the final completion of that victory has not happened yet. That's what we're reading about in these scriptures. And so it's a, it's a very strange time that we're living in that God already has uh, one part of the victory, but the victory is not complete. So this is what we have to look forward to. And truly, it is something amazing to look forward to. So, in the next few chapters, we get some, uh, some amazing things as we see how this rolls out as the Lord begins to take authority once again over the earth that belongs to Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a few moments tonight as we consider these things. As our hearts are turned once again to Him. Oh, this book of Revelation gives us incredible hope about the future. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.